And happy, happy Memorial Day. Can we show some love for all the men and women who have served and are serving right now for our nation so that we can come and gather in rooms just like this. People all over the world can't do what we have the freedom to do right now. I'm so grateful. You may take a seat. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. My name is Doug Weckenman. I'm one of the pastors around here, and we proudly say we are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. Who was here last week for baptism? Let me see you. Man, it was so good. That was such a good week. You might be asking what I'm asking right now. After a week like that, what do we do? Like, where do we go from here? What, what is next? And that's why today we are kicking off a brand new collection of talks, like Ryan said, called We Are. Because here's what, here's what I know. Here's what I know. What we do flows from who we are. In other words, when we know who we are, we will know what to do. When you know who you are, then in any and every situation that you face, you'll know what to do if you know who you are. Your identity leads to your actions, right? So here's what I'm working on right now with my two-year-old son, Will. And it's a, it's a slow process. You wanna know why? Because he's two, okay? But we're working on it still. I'm starting them young, all right? So what we're, what we're working on is, is what I call the code. It's called the code. This is the Weckenman Code. And it has to do with who we are. So this is the code. We are kind, we are confident, and we are brave. We're kind, we're confident, and we're brave. So I take my, my little guy, Will, to daycare and drop him off, and I get down at his level, and I go, buddy, I love you so much. Remember, what's the code? And he usually says something back to me like, I play Legos, Daddy. So I spank him. I'm like, that's not the answer. He who is not disciplined is an illegitimate child. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know this is like Texas, but it's also Austin, so I don't know if I can make spanking jokes, but when in doubt, I usually just make the joke. Get your Legos on, buddy, but remember the code. What's the code? We are, we're kind, okay, good job. We are confident, good job, and we are, we are brave. We're kind, we're confident, we're brave. I know he's two, but I want him to know who he is so that when he sees another little kid get left out, or if he sees somebody in his class get picked on, or if he ever gets picked on, or when he's nervous to go down the slide on the playground, right? Or 20 years from now, when he's nervous to follow the calling that God has placed on his life. Whenever he walks into a new classroom full of new kids and he doesn't know what to do. Or 20 years from now, when he walks into a, a new city full of new adults. I want him to know who he is because if he knows who he is, he'll know what to do. Well, guess who else is too? This church. So that's why we're doing this series, because if we know who we are, we will know what to do. So what does it mean to be the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to represent Jesus to the city of Austin? What does it mean to be the advocates of the Imago Dei, the reconcilers of all people, the makers of the future? Because when we know who we are, we will never have to ask, what do we do now? When you know who you are, you will know what to do. So today, first things first, we're gonna fill in that blank right there by saying we are people of the gospel. Oh, you will never graduate beyond the simple 
simple gospel. And I know a lot of us on surface level can probably explain it and like, yeah, yeah, I know what this is, so I'm gonna check out. And what I'm gonna ask you is, no, 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 you lean into this because I promise you, you don't fully live yet like you actually believe this because you are way too logical for something this illogical to root and transform you from the inside out. You will never graduate beyond this. We are the people of the gospel. And I wanna show you this by reading you a story that Jesus told really quick in Luke chapter 18, kind of a ridiculous story, and you'll see why as we read it. And this, uh, this won't be on the screen. Um, no slides today, no notes, because last night at midnight, I kid you not, God ruined all my plans for this sermon and said, just get up on stage and speak from the heart about the gospel. And uh, when the big man upstairs says, do this, you, yes, sir. Okay, so in case you're wondering right now, oh, I wonder what's about to happen. Hey, me too, okay? So let's pray one more time, and then I'm gonna read this. Jesus, we love you so much. Oh, we love you so much. And I just, uh, I love and I hate when this stuff happens, but I always, I always know there's a reason. So would you preach to us again? the beautiful and simple gospel that changes absolutely everything. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke chapter 18, verses nine through 14. Here we go. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Oh, I can't relate to this at all. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Just a cool guy right away. Robbers, ugh. Evildoers, ugh. Adulterers, oh my gosh. Or even like this tax collector. This tax collector's standing right next to him. This guy's just praying this out loud, trying to like teach this guy something through his prayers. Thank you, I'm not like this tax collector. Oh, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Well, of course he did. Tax collectors were hated at a fever pitch in this day. But for good reason, okay? So don't get soft on me and start feeling bad for this guy. This guy has chosen a life of profiting off the pain of his own people. And he knows who he is, all right? So he walks in and stands at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, it's this man rather than the other who went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So these two men, for me, kind of represent this very familiar pendulum swing that exists internally in the hearts of every human being, okay? So you've got the, you've got the Pharisee who sort of represents religion or legalism, this sort of outside-in, I'll clean myself up on the outside and make my life look the way the Christian community says it's supposed to look, regardless of how rotten I still am on the inside, at least my projected image. It's about the image and not the substance, right? It's a scary place to be because you can kind of sort of start to live like you don't really need a savior. I got this. I'm crushing the rules that you're giving me, right? 
And on the other hand, we've got the tax collector who represents rebellion or licentiousness or lawlessness. Basically, all like, thanks for the mercy, God, and I'm gonna use your grace cheaply and do whatever I want. All grace and no truth, which, by the way, is also not the gospel. Okay, so now you've got this pendulum swing going back and forth. But Red Rocks Austin, we are not we are not a church of legalism. We are not the people of rebellion and lawlessness. We are the slowing of the pendulum swing. You know, it's funny. Some of us grow up and we need to be saved from from uh, sexual immorality or addiction or debauchery. And some of us grow up needing to be saved from church. Right but we are the slowing of the pendulum swing. We are people of the gospel. So here's how I wanna show you what the gospel is. And if you have your Bible, go right now to Ephesians chapter two. We'll get there in just a moment. But I wanna set the stage with a scene because this is the scene a lot of humanity is playing out in their minds. We'll call this essentially religion. This is the games people play because all of us have eternity written in our hearts, you guys. And eternity, this idea that I'm gonna have a final breath in my life and something's coming for me beyond on the other side of all of this and it haunts us in this weird way. So we play this game where we sort of we sort of go as long as I can do enough good and 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 more good than bad the t- the scale is going to tip in my direction and then God will grant me whatever the afterlife holds in regards to goodness. And so let's just let's be let, like first let, let's let's uh, let's say the uh, so this is bad. So this is our tax collector, the sinner, and he knows who he is. And then over here, we have the Pharisee, who as far as human beings go, is a pretty well-behaved and righteous guy. We can make this even more extreme, and we could say Hitler is over here. Hitler, who murdered at least two million people in his lifetime. I mean, he, we can all agree, he is the manifestation of evil through a human being. But then we have, like, let's say, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. How about Billy Graham between radio and TV and stadiums that he filled led 2.2 billion people to Jesus, okay? So, I mean, just crushing it as a human being. And so if you're anything like me, you go, okay, well, here, here's kind of my starting point, almost like God's grading us all on a, on a curve. If you, were, if you remember high school and AP class where your teacher graded on a curve, so you took a look around and you kind of saw some people who maybe weren't as sharp as you and kind of breathed out a little bit, like, well, I'm not the best in here, but I'm not, I'm not the worst in here, so I think I'm doing okay. And we assume that God grades on a curve, And we assume that if I can do enough good and less bad, that I will be okay. But the starting point for all of us, including the Pharisee and the tax collector, is revealed to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is not a very popular thing to preach, but here it is. As for you, as for me, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. As good as dead in transgressions and sins. In other words, I was born in iniquity. You are not, you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Like we are all born flawed, a broken world. Now, bear with me because your real identity 
which you can read about in Genesis 1 and 2, you have the imago Dei, the image of God within you. You are a son. You are a daughter of the creator of everything. That is your true identity, and you were made that way two chapters before you got infected with sin, but we are still infected with sin, living in a, a fallen and broken world with no ability to save ourselves, you guys. No ability to do that. And we play this game right here thinking, okay, if I can be just a little bit further in this direction, and I don't wanna downplay the, 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 the distance between Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa or Billy Graham because this seems so incredibly vast and big for us. But over here, you guys, what we have is the holiness, righteousness, and perfection of God. And by the way, what's required for heaven forever one day is perfection in every way. A, a perfect God, a holy God cannot dwell where there is sin. So even if I'm, yeah, I'm on this side of the curve. I mean, this is like, if you think about it, this is a weird game to play. So God's going to let you into heaven because, because your sister has been divorced twice, but you haven't. Like, because your, your cousins, he's the black sheep of the family and he's been in and out of rehab and I mean, you got your stuff, but you're not an addict, so you're getting into heaven? I mean, this is kind of like my, my dog Luna, when she was a puppy, I'd take her for walks, and she'd see a commercial jet fly over and jump to try to grab it. And I'm like, you really think you almost got that? I mean, this is us for real, like, oh, I'm crushing life, God's pumped on me thinking, I mean, Michael Phelps is a good swimmer, but I'm talking about the Pacific Ocean here. This is, this is our starting point, you guys. As good as dead in trespasses and sin. Do you see the bad news that's being set, the scene, the stage that's being set for the ultimate hero to enter in? onto the scene because this is where John 3.16 takes place and this is why Christianity is good news. This is why the gospel is the greatest thing ever because John 3.16 says God so loved the world. He looked down and assessed the situation, saw the problem and the Bible says he didn't just have a little bit of love. It talked about this volume of love that God had for the world. He didn't just love it, he so loved that Jesus left his throne in paradise and came down here to do what we could never do on our own. The Bible says he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death as a perfect sacrifice at the perfect moment in order to perfect some very imperfect people. You understand this gap right here, which is monumentally bigger than this gap right here. The cross stands in the middle and completely covers it. This is the gospel where Jesus says, if you want to give me all of your imperfections, your defeated record, all of your sin past, present, and future, I will take that with me into the tomb that I'm going to borrow, and I will leave it there to rot when I walk out three days later. And in exchange, you can have my righteousness, my undefeated record, my perfection, that is what you need to be in the presence of a holy God, heaven forever one day. You guys, this is the gospel, and you hear this, and you start to see why we all need the cross so badly. Why, I don't stand a chance if I don't know Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, two of the most, like this is the gospel in its most simple form, for it is by, this is called grace. It is called grace. It is by grace that you have been saved 
through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And I love this part. Not by works. In other words, this is works. Trying to, okay, I can do this. No, no, no. You can't. Not by works, but by faith. So that what? So nobody can boast. Nobody can boast. So I've told this story before. I'm not gonna tell the whole thing. Not gonna show the video, although it's on Netflix if you wanna see it. But a few years ago, I got rescued out of a riptide um, in Australia from Bondi Beach. And uh, <laughs> Chapo was a, is an Australian lifeguard. And he, I have, my savior is Jesus. My hero is Chapo. I would not be here if it was not for Chapo, okay? So I was as good as dead <laughs> in this riptide, drowning, okay? And Chapo risks his life and he does what I can't do on my own and saved my, he saves my life. He's the reason that I'm here today. Now imagine if I got back to shore and I'm just kind of strutting around like, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Like that's, this is why an, an arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. For real, what'd you do? You did nothing but get saved because you couldn't save yourself, right? Like this is, Chapo's the hero of that story. Jesus is the hero of that book. Christians, we should not, we have nothing to be arrogant about. All I'm trying to say is the role I played on Bondi Beach that day is the role that you and I assume in the gospel, which should lead to an overwhelming amount of humility of humility, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that humility leads not to arrogance, but to something that's even better, confidence. So no, 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 you should not walk in arrogance, but absolutely you should. All Christians with a little pep in your step, you should be walking around with a little bit of holy swagger. Why? Because you are dressed with the righteousness of the God of the universe. You are now who he says you are. There is now zero condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So absolutely, you should be confident because you've got the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. From now on, he looks at you and he sees you as blameless and holy and undefeated and he always will. Oh, you better be confident. Oh, you better not be walking around like a puppy with its tail between its legs, with your head down thinking, I'm scum. Oh, no, no, no. This was your starting point. But do you see what Jesus just did for you? Humility leads to confidence, which leads to just crazy amounts of joy, in my opinion. Like, are you kidding me? We should be the most joyful, craziest group of people on this planet, you guys. Because that right there, I mean, that's why we gather every single week. That's why we have a spirit and a, a culture of celebration at this church. If you're wondering, where, where, where'd that idea come from? Heaven! <laughs> Guys, we have everything in the world to be joyful about. That's why we try to make this feel like a party every single week because we are celebrating the fact that we were rescued when we had no ability to do it for ourselves. And now in Jesus, we have absolutely everything that we need, which shows me, by the way, that God doesn't need any of us, but he wants us, apparently, which makes the news even better that when I'm not, he is, and when I can't, he absolutely can. Humility confidence, and joy. Oh, when this exchange takes place, Jesus, take my sin forever, and I'm, I'm white as snow. He looks at me and he sees perfection, even though I'm 
a work in progress still? This is Hebrews 10, 14. He has made perfect those who are being made perfect. Man, in 2009, I still, I'll never forget the night my life changed forever. It's this ministry in Boulder, Colorado, right off campus of the University of Colorado. And I showed up that night with just my long, long list of all the reasons that I am, I'm just, I should just hang out here for the rest of my life. So much shame and just, but this story was preached. And I'm telling you, when this story gets preached and the Holy Spirit does something, oh, something takes place in your soul, this great exchange, and that night I walked out a new creation. My life before is what they call a former life. Now something brand new. God looked down on me and he didn't see a defeated record. Oh, no, no, he saw the perfection of his son, Jesus, even though for the past 12 years, guys, I've still been a work in progress, the farthest thing from perfect, but we're getting there. And the more and more I come back to this simple story, see, this is what has the power, this story right here, not external, outside-in religion, let me clean myself up, not let me go try to live it up in this life and find the answer in anything else under the sun. None of that has the power to transform the broken human heart. This infection all of us were born with. But this story transforms. This story is why C.S. Lewis is a Christian, by the way. Because he said, man, you take the smartest men and women on the planet and put them in a room together and say, come up with the next major world religion. Nobody would think of this. It'd be a different version of the same thing. Here's, here's what you gotta do to get to where you gotta go. But a God who left everything to come get you when he knew you'd never be able to do that on your own? Are you serious? No human being could think that up. So the gospel does its work and salvation takes place. And then here's what happens. The scene now changes. And we're gonna move now from Ephesians, which by the way, Ephesians just hammers home that first scene that we just talked about over and over and over again. And Galatians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia, is written to a bunch of Christians who have been saved and have received the gospel. And now he says, we don't have time, but you can go read Galatians 1. I think it's either verse five or six where Paul says, I am astonished that once you have received the gospel, how quick all of you are to trade it away for a counterfeit gospel, for something else. So now we're back. We're back to the, to the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're now back to this very familiar pendulum swing that all of us Christians feel and experience every single day where the invitation is the gospel, the story that we just went over, both grace and truth. And yet we get, like we, we shift our, our spiritual vehicles, I don't know, into neutral and we always tend to drift in one of these two directions. Maybe we drift towards legalism, which once again is, okay, uh, Jesus saved me, but now I gotta help God keep me saved. Jesus plus something is gonna equal the grace of God because the news cannot be this good. And whole denominations and groups of people are created around this concept that Jesus plus not drinking that. Jesus plus not going there and going there instead. Oh, Jesus plus baptism 
Jesus plus communion this many times a year is gonna, but guys, as soon as you give Jesus a plus one, attach anything to him, you no longer have the gospel. You have a perversion of it, and Paul would say it is no gospel at all. The gospel of Jesus is Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything that you need because as long as you hang out in religion, legalism, you're gonna be playing an exhausting game for the rest of your life where you go back and forth between self-righteousness and shame. The days and the weeks where you're crushing it as a Christian, I mean, those weeks where you're waking up at 4 a.m. every single morning and you're getting out the yellow pages to pray for for every person in the yellow pages and you gave that guy on the corner 20 bucks and you made it to church and on that day, man, you are, you're feeling God's a little bit more pumped about me than normal and what happens in the human heart is self-righteousness which causes you, I mean, it's crazy how fast we start to think we're awesome and everybody else isn't. It, it happens so fast, oh my gosh, until the next week, literally the next week or day when you stumble back into that thing when you're back into that habit that, and you know better at this point, and you swore a hundred times, never again. I've been to 20 altar calls where I've surrendered that, and now I'm, I'm back once again, and then it's shame. So it's, it's like a roller coaster, like click, 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 I'm crushing it, I'm crushing it, self-righteousness. Ah, messed up shame. Oh, self-righteousness, ah. And it's exhausting. And from the outside looking in, your Christian friends are looking at you going, that's not freedom. Bro, you look exhausted. It's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater at the pool. Like that, it's like you with religion trying to deal with all of your sin. And as soon as you got lust taken care of, it pops up in comparison over here. As soon as you got comparison, then it pops up in, in envy over here. And you're like telling your, your non-Christian friends on the side of the pool, you guys gotta grab your beach balls and come do this because it's awesome. And your friends are going, oh, bro, no. You need therapy is what you need. If you need somebody to talk to, Guys, that's not freedom because it's not the gospel. It's religion and it's legalism. Jesus plus something else, man. <laughs> Woo. And here, yeah. So legalism, and a lot of us grew up in this. Here's what we've had for generations, okay? Nobody's fault. But we had generation after generation who went to church religiously and their kids came along with them and saw that a lot of it was fake and fear-based. And then grew up and don't wanna be feared into something, you want to love something. So if this is the Bible Belt and religion in the Bible Belt, then millions of people grew up and tried religion and flocked straight to Austin looking for something, running from the very thing they're actually looking for. And we'll come here thinking we can find the answer in a city like this where the sky's the limit and what we're seeing is a great experiment just failing because nobody is finding it. I mean, if this is a lot of you in this room, I know you grew up in a very legalistic household and as soon as you go to college, it's like, you're, like the door swings open and you just, oh, this is awesome. You come to a church like Red Rocks and you hear about the grace of Jesus and you go, are you serious? So I can do anything I want and he's gonna forgive me? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And yes, he will, the grace is that good. But I mean, guys, this is all of us. That shows me you still don't fully understand the gospel. 
And that fullness of life that you're looking for, you were made to experience, is actually found right here. Give me grace, give me truth, together perfectly married in a human being. God with skin on, this man, Jesus Christ, who has called me into not just heaven forever, then and there, but life to the full, here and now. And when you swing the pendulum to this side, it's usually because you don't fully trust that God has your best interests at heart, that he's really for your joy. You think like Adam and Eve syndrome, where you think God's, surely he's holding out on me. And what he wants is a well-behaved Christian who is just a bum. Like, I'm a bummer to everybody, but it's gonna be a party in heaven, so I'll just suck it up until then, thinking, I mean, this is Adam and Eve. You guys, think about this gig. I mean, naked together, husband and wife with the command to have sex in an all-inclusive paradise with millions of trees and amazing fruit to eat from, no sin. I mean, this is not a hard gig, okay? This is awesome. But they bought the lie, God is holding out on us. As long as you live over here, you will always hit some kind of ceiling for the joy that you're trying to find. Man, we're seeing people by the thousands in our city, right outside of these doors, just hitting a ceiling over and over and over again. Jesus, the gospel, is what rips the roof off for the joy that you can experience. This is just the C.S. Lewis quote, my favorite quote ever, that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with ambition and sex and drink when infinite joy is being offered us right over here, like ignorant kids in a slum making mud pies because we just cannot understand what is meant by a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. And that's why you swing over here. You actually don't want it bad enough. You actually are settling for a, a joy ceiling and a joy lid. And if you're over here, no, 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 what you need to be invited into is this truth that, by the way, is not a heavy yoke that lays on your shoulder to weigh you down, but rather comes in the form of a person who's trying to lead you into the more life that you're actually looking for. And if you're over here, what you need to do is just enjoy his grace. Stop trying so hard. This is where grace and truth meet each other in a person the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, and Galatians, if you keep reading in chapter five, will say it is for freedom that we've been set free. That first scene that we saw, the whole point, guys, freedom, that we've been set free from legalism. You've been set free from religion. You've been set free, free from trying harder. And you've also been set free from rebellion. You're not gonna find life over here either. You've been set free from trying to experience the max of what you're looking for and, and fill and complete this e eternally sized groove and indentation in your heart with everything under the sun, which by the way, is not working. You're free from trying to do that for the rest of your life and coming up short, you are, but not only are you set free from those two things, you are set free to something better. We are people of the gospel. We are the slowing of the pendulum swing. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are those who will, that verse in Galatians, the very next verse says, so stand firm. You've been set free from that and from that to this. So stand firm because if you leave it in neutral, you will drift in that direction or that direction. Stand firm. Keep coming back to Jesus. That is the constant invitation. I don't care what happened last night. I don't care what kind of week you've had. I don't care if you've absolutely crushed it as a Christian or you've fallen short in every way. The invitation every 
every day where his mercies are new every morning is to come back to Jesus. That's why every single week, every Sunday in this place, we show up and we talk about Jesus and we sing songs to Jesus and we get in small groups throughout the week where we tell stories about how amazing Jesus is and we get together over Chipotle burritos or Starbucks and we talk about how awesome Jesus has been in our life because stand firm in the freedom that has been purchased for you. I'm not going back. I'm not swinging here and I'm not swinging here. I am standing firm in what I know to be true that we are people of the gospel and when we know who we are, church, we will leave here and know what to do, amen? Will you guys stand up? Jesus, we love you so much. I thank you that we are who you say we are. I thank you that we're not defined by our past. I thank you that we're not defined by our starting point. I thank you that even though we've been infected with this thing called sin, and even though the world is a fallen world, that you did not leave us dead in our transgressions and sins. But Jesus, you left paradise and got off your throne to come and do what we would never be able to do and save us and rescue us and give us righteousness and holiness and perfection. So may we stand firm in the gospel, believing that the news really is this good, that Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything. We pray this in the powerful, beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Somebody say, amen.